From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After starring under the lights of the swamp for the last few years, the wait is finally over for some of Florida football's biggest names to find out where they're headed at the next level. The NFL Draft descends on Philadelphia for the first time in nearly 60 years this week, and we're covering it from all angles pertinent to the orange and blue, including conversations with safety Marcus May, former cornerback Brian Poole, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, offensive lineman David Sharp, and defensive tackle Brian Cox Jr. We'll get the show kicked off by hearing from an All-American who saw his Florida career come to a challenging conclusion thanks to a shoulder injury sustained on senior day. Now healthy following a long recovery, we caught up with Marcus May at UF's Pro Day a few weeks ago and asked him how it felt to finally get to show the scouts what he could do. Uh, yeah, it felt great. I mean, you know, my goal was to come out here and, you know, show everybody I can move around. Um, you know, the big question mark was my arm, my arm injury and how that's coming along. And I think I did pretty well today. Um, and I don't feel it. I have no problems with it anymore. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I did pretty well today. How difficult was it to be going through your senior season? You come back when you could have gone mm-hmm. and then to have that injury. I mean, how yeah. did you get through that? Um, it was tough at first, but, you know, with all the support, uh, family support, all my friends, you know, they stuck with me. You know, I didn't get, let myself get down on myself. Uh, you know, just putting the work. I mean, everything happened for a reason. You know, I didn't go into a tank or anything like that. I didn't drop my head or anything. I just dealt with it and kept pushing. What have been the hardest parts of this recovery, getting back and getting into the right shape to show off to scouts? Um, I mean, for me, you know, it was just, you know, get my arm back, get my muscle back with everything. Uh, for the most part, my legs were good, so mm-hmm. I mean, running and jumping and all that stuff wasn't a problem. Just uh, get my arm and everything. As you've gone through this, which teammates have been most helpful to you? Guys you used to play mm-hmm. with that are in the league. I mean, talk to Brian Poole, yeah. or there's a guy who's just in yeah. the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and you play with him. So what's it been like to have those guys? Uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, I feel like if you've played here, I mean, you talk to the guys that's coming in mm-hmm. and that are left. So I mean. It's always open line communication with those guys. I mean, we're all brothers, basically. So, I mean, we've talked to Poor, Vernon, uh, Keanu, just, you know, all the older guys that are, that's been in the lead and stuff like that. So, I mean, they help. They helped a lot. I mean, you know, they tell you what to look for, what to be prepared for, and everything like that. So, so what's next for you? As you move through this process, is it meetings? Is it showing off to people? What's mm-hmm. the next step for you? Uh, meetings for me. Uh, just talking ball with coaches now. Get on the board, get on the film, and stuff like that. And how important is that, being able to show them in those meetings what you're all about? Uh, it's very important. I mean, they got to know what, what you're seeing, how you think, and what you can do and stuff like that. So the meetings are very important. Marcus, good luck to you. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. appreciate it. Thank you. The draft may seem like a make-or-break event for those wishing to pursue their dreams on Sundays, but Brian Poole serves as a strong example of what you can accomplish even if you're overlooked. The former cornerback was signed by the Falcons after going undrafted in 2016 and found himself starting in the Super Bowl less than a year later. The Bradenton native came to see some of his teammates perform on Pro Day, and we asked him what it meant to be back in Gainesville. Man, being back, it's just, it's been the blessed 365 days, I would say. It started right here. 
I mean, really just to be accomplish everything that I've accomplished this year, it's just, it's just a blessing, man. It's hard to even really put it into words. Like, it's just a blessing, man. Just to be back, you know, be supporting my guys, you know, guys I battled with, man. It's a blessing, man. How much different is it now talking to them, given the position that you're in and where they want to be? How does that change the dynamic between you? Um, it's like I'm talking from experience. I mean, I've like I've played at the highest level. It's like it's not, I mean, like how I think it is. Uh, I mean, what I think is actually what I know. So, I mean, like I could give them like firsthand advice just because I actually been through it and I mean, you know, not watch it on TV or anything like that. What's the best advice you can give some of these guys about this whole process? Man, just take advantage of the, every opportunity just because you never know if it's ever going to come back around in your lifetime. So, I mean, really just take advantage of it, man, and every day leave it all out there just because you never know when it's going to come back around. You had a pretty incredible rookie season, what you guys were able to do up there. With, with Keanu Neal and the two yeah. of you guys. What was it like sharing that with him? Not just getting to a Super man, Bowl, but just, doing it with him. So, I mean, I really look at Keanu Neal like that's my brother. I mean, you know, we've battled together. So, I mean, me and his relationship is bigger than football. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, like, I wouldn't want to have to share that with anybody else but somebody like that. So, I mean, it just make it that much better when you with, I mean, somebody that you got love for, somebody who you, you know, battled with, you know, we've been through stuff together and everything like that. So, like, it just make it so much better and it just make you feel better about it all. I mean, when you're going through it with somebody like that. A lot of people say ball is ball, but obviously the pro game is different than college. What's, yeah. what's been the toughest part of that transition for you? Uh, I mean, really just the details, man. In the league, you got to be very, very detailed. Cause, I mean, you know, the quarterbacks are better, the wide receivers are better, the offensive line is better. I mean, everything like that. So, I mean, really, man, you just got to be very detailed with everything you do. I mean, you can't leave no screws unturned. Obviously, the Super Bowl was disappointing the way it ended. What, yeah. what did you take away from that? What's it been like since that time for you and your teammates? I mean, that have... I mean, really fueled me this offseason. So, I mean, really, but I mean, just taking away from me, you just you got to be able to finish, man. That's really the main thing. You just got to be able to finish. Favorite part of living in Atlanta? What, what's been the highlight for you? Man, just being around the guys, man, just the team. The team, I mean, you know, the way the city support us and, I mean, everything like that. You know, they come out, scream to the top of their lungs, you know, we, and I mean, as they know, I mean, you know, we appreciate it. What's that Coach Quinn connection been like for you? How important was it to have that relationship? It was definitely important for me. I mean, it definitely made me feel at home. I mean, because it's, I mean, it's somebody that I already know. So it's not like I'm having to, like, get to really know somebody. Like, I already know him. I already know what he expects. I already know what his standard is. So, I mean, I was able to, you know, execute it. Brian, thank you so much. Good luck next there season. There we go. Thank you. The Gators are expected to have another strong showing in this year's draft, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We sat down with Scott Carter and Chris Harry to cover the draft from wall to wall, as well as get some other news and notes from around the Gator Nation. And we begin by getting Scott's draft overview. Well, I mean, you're going to have some players such as Quincy Wilson and Jared Davis, I think, go early in the draft. Uh, both of those guys are potential uh, first-round picks, early second round. And then after that, Adam, you know, it gets a little more scattered. I still think, you know, you look at the first two days of the draft, uh, I would expect to see uh, Davis, Wilson, possibly Anzalone, Tabor. Marcus May. Marcus May. And then, of course, the big question mark about the Gators in this draft uh, is Caleb Brantley. I mean, mm -hmm. he's been in the news all week. And off-the-field incidents, you know, created a lot of headlines that he certainly uh, could have not used at this time. The story's still playing out. So it's just a matter of 
what kind of information these teams that are considering Brantley, because remember, he was listed anywhere from maybe a mid to late first rounder to early third rounder. So, I mean, he's going to go, or he was going to go high in the draft. We're going to see how much information teams have on him and, you know, what their comfort level is after talking to him about uh, the incident and, and go from there. Uh, you know, this is a draft that if you just look at it from afar, there's a lot of character question marks about some of the top guys in this draft. And uh, for Brantley, that wasn't an issue until really a few days ago, and we'll see how uh, teams respond. Every draft has lots of stories. When you look at this draft, Chris, what, what's the best draft story from a Florida perspective? Well, it's, it's a story that I, that, that I wrote this week uh, for FloridaGators.com, Adam. I mean, Marcus May is a guy who broke his arm on senior day, you know, his last game in the swamp, and he wasn't able to compete against LSU, against Florida State in the SEC championship game against Alabama or in the Outback Bowl against Iowa. Um, and yet he obviously rehabbed that and was able to make a comeback on that front to the point where he did not compete at the combine, but he did, you know, work out at pro day and had his individual workouts with teams and showed enough where he was invited to the draft experience at, at Philadelphia, at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Hmm. He was supposed to be there in the green room with his family. He declined. You know why, Adam? Because he thought it was more important to be with his mom and his immediate family and walk across the stage and graduate and get that degree in African-American studies, which he promised his mother he would do in uh, last year when he bypassed a chance to enter the NFL draft early. And instead came back, finished his academic works, and will graduate the same weekend. He very well could be drafted. I think he's going to be second, early, third round draft pick. So what a weekend it's going to be for a really, really well-liked player, one of the most popular players on the team, and a guy who certainly is going to deserve uh, uh, what happens to him this weekend. Um, I, th I think it's just a fantastic story for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I agree there, Adam. It is a great story. Uh, and Marcus, you really couldn't ask for a, a better guy to be in that situation because he is one of the team leaders and a, he's a guy that came back and Chris hit it on the head. I mean, he's just a guy well-liked. and So you, you hear a lot of kids say, hey, I got to get that degree for mom, but you also see a lot of them don't get it. So it's nice to see one who does. But when you look at this draft potential for the Gators, I mean, to me, the most interesting story by far is Jalen Tabor. I remember last summer in New York, a tour with him up there. The talk was that Jalen Tabor was, you know, going to be a first-round pick. He was that good. And then he goes out and has a really good junior season. Uh, obviously, him and Quincy uh, Wilson shared the spotlight some as the season went on, and as Wilson really developed into a player equal or maybe even better than Tabor. But at the same time, it wasn't until the draft combine in Indianapolis when Tabor puts up a slower-than-expected 40. I think he ran a 4-6-1, uh, which is still faster than me and Chris. Like it, <laughs> it, NFL scouts, it's not really uh, something that they look at. They want guys that playing cornerback in NFL to be obviously 4-4 four, four or under. But anyway, it changed the perception of Tabor in a lot of ways. And, and then he had his pro day here and didn't you know put up a similar number in the 40. And again, faced the same questions. And he said, hey, I'm just not a guy who runs fast in a straight line. I never have been. So it's going to be interesting because, you know, NFL teams love to send smoke signals this time of year. Like, yeah, that guy, we're mm -hmm. not on him anymore. Uh, you know, we don't think he's the guy. I still got a feeling that some team is going to take Jalen Tabor in the second or early third round. I think he's, he's just too good of a player, as coaches and players like to say, watch the tape. If you do, he passes that eye test. So it's going to be very interesting to see where he falls. And if he does end up being 
a late round pick, uh, I think some team is getting a really uh, good steal. Well, it's amazing, too, what that says about the measurables, because as you noted, Scott, they always say, watch the tape. And that's what McIlwain said when he was asked, well, what about Tabor's measurables? Why didn't he run fast? Why didn't he test well on this? He said, listen, at the end of the day, look at what a guy's done on the field, and that should matter more than all of this. So it, you know, it might put a little bit of a chip on Tabor's shoulder going forward, especially depending on where he gets drafted. We know the guy can play. And it seems like he's going to have to really prove that if he's underdrafted, as most are anticipating. It's weird how that works, though, because all the time in my 10 years covering the National Football League, you have scouts that really uh, put all their chips into tape, all right, productivity. And, sure. and then you had the others who really, really put a big emphasis on the testing and what happens at the combines and in those shuttle runs and, like Scott said, the straight line runs. So. It's a word that you hear a lot when it comes this time of year. It only takes one. It only takes one team to like somebody. If there's a GM, if there's a scout out there that really likes Jalen Tabor, likes his makeup, likes what he put on tape, likes some of those plays he made. I mean, was it the play, Scott, the Kentucky game, where he split those guys on the oh, yes. screen, made the interception? And yeah. I mean, that's that's not a play a lot of guys can make. And uh, he, he saw the play probably two or three seconds before it happened. And he has that kind of instinct. And, you know, we saw that over the last three years. So, it's just how somebody happens to uh, happens to be viewing that particular player at that particular moment where they are on that board. This isn't a news story. It's been the case for Florida the last few years, but the defense has ruled the draft for the Gators. Who do we expect the first offensive player to be taken off the board if there is someone who is drafted on that side of the ball? You're right, Adam. It is a similar story uh, to recent years. Uh, the talent has been on defense for the Gators, but if there is an offensive player that You'll see get selected in this draft. You know, David certainly got the size at 6'7", about 335, 340 pounds to be a, a big tackle in the NFL. Uh, but I think there's some development that he's still going to have to do. So he's going to be an interesting. I mean, if he gets picked just based on the scouting reports that he has accrued the last few months as he's going through the process of the combine and pro day and meeting with teams, it looks like at best bet he's probably a fifth to seventh rounder. But I think – there's also a good chance that maybe he's an undrafted uh, rookie free agent, signs on with the team uh, who's just looking for, you know, like what they see in him and has a need on the offensive line and has maybe time to uh, develop. So uh, we'll see uh, where he falls. But you got to remember, Adam, he's the only guy that they lost other than the quarterback Austin Appleby mm-hmm. from the offense that were key contributors last year. Now, Austin Appleby got a lot of the intangibles, like he's 6'5", 335, 340. I mean, I'm sorry, 235. Or, uh, Good Lord. If He'd he be was, a David Shark. Yes, he would be David Shark. <laughs> but, you know, Appleby has some of those intangibles. Uh, I think, you know, it just all depends on he, his likely route is probably a free agent tryout and maybe get on with the team and, and uh, just learn some and uh, see if he can develop more. Got the size, uh, has a big arm. I guess his inconsistency during his college career was accuracy. And obviously, to play in the NFL, accuracy is even more uh, stressed because there's such a quickness on the defense. You have to be accurate. So uh, we'll see where he lands. But I look for the draft to have more Gators on offense in the 2018 draft than this year, obviously. When you look back at a draft, there's always guys that there's the hits and there's the misses. And from the Florida perspective, a year ago, 
no one was really looking at Brian Poole, and then he ends up starting for the Falcons in the Super Bowl. And I don't want to talk about what happened after he started for the Falcons in the Super Bowl because that's a very sad story. But he was there. He played in the Super Bowl, and no one saw that coming from Brian Poole. Which Gator is going to provide a lot of value? Who is someone that teams are maybe underrating that you think can really perform at the next level? Well, if he stays healthy, uh, Alex Anzalone is going to be a good NFL player. You know, I think he would maybe be uh, getting some consideration for a first or high second round pick if he didn't have the injury concerns that he uh, he endured in college. I mean, you look at him and uh, he, he's just a physical attacker, has great speed side to side, always around the ball. I mean, he's what NFL teams want in that kind of a, a linebacker. Finishes plays too. Really yes. finishes plays on tackles. Yep. I mean, that's his strength, uh, just always around the ball and finishes plays. And so, you know, I think a year from now, if Alex Anzalone gets in the right situation, the right system and stays healthy, uh, maybe he could be another Brian Poole uh, that we're talking about here now. Uh, because I think internally, like people who followed the Gators closely last year, they knew that Brian Poole was a good player. But then, you know, he got hurt in that uh, East-West Shrine game, broke his collarbone and couldn't do a lot through the draft uh, combine process. So I think... He fell off some teams' radars, but then, of course, he had connection with Dan Quinn in Atlanta. It paid off. Uh, Alex Anzalone is a guy who's good. I mean, he's going to get drafted, though. He's not going to go with the free agent draft. At least I don't expect him to. We touched short on the, the Caleb Brantley story, but there's really more positive stories, I think, to take away from this. Chris, you mentioned Marcus May, and we haven't even talked about Jared Davis. I mean, there's another guy who came back for his senior year. Injuries kind of changed it from what he was hoping it would be. But there's some really good stories on this Florida team going to the draft of players who did things the right way, and, and you hope that they're rewarded for it by the NFL. Adam, I feel good about uh, the whole thing, that's the way it's played out, and Scott will agree with me here. I mean, Jared, Jared Davis is a really, really good kid. Uh, on the road trips when Scott and I get to the hotel, we always see his mother there. Amy. She, Amy, is she's tremendous. She always gives us big hugs. It's just a really, really good family, really good kid, and, you know, he, he's earned this. I still remember, and I'm sure I've told the story on this podcast before, how dejected he was in the uh, in the bowels of the Georgia Dome after that SEC championship loss in, um, to Alabama the year before. And he said, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going out like this. And he did come back for his senior year. And, you know, his senior year obviously didn't end up the way he wanted it to. I mean, the Gators went back to the SEC championship game, lost again. He was injured, didn't get to play very much toward the end of the season, tried, played through that really, really painful ankle. And yet, uh, uh, you know, he had a tremendous offseason, you know, in the run up, whether it was the combine or, you know, testing and they had the tape. I mean, the teams that are seeing the first round draft pick, the only concern, obviously, he had a few injuries or what have you, but productivity isn't going to be a question. Certainly desire isn't going to be a question. And he would be a tremendous uh, teammate. And uh, I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the NFL. No, same here. I mean, uh, Jared has all the tools. And, you know, speaking of Brian Poole, who we mentioned earlier, he was back here for Pro Day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to talk to him. I was just throwing him some questions about different players in the NFL. And I asked him what he, what he thinks about Jared. He says, man, Jared's probably the guy who loves football the most of any teammate he's ever had. And, uh, you know, NFL teams are going to love that. So uh, so I expect uh, Jared to, you know, if he doesn't go in the first round, he'll certainly go, I think, somewhere early in the second round. And if he stays healthy, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about Jared for quite a few years. 
Moving things on to baseball, Scott, we talked about this a week ago, that big series with South Carolina and then the the national showcase, the Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. Uh, It didn't go perfectly, but J.J. Schwartz, who's had kind of a tough season, he came through it in a big way in that finale. And if that's a sign of things to come, that's obviously huge for Kevin O'Sullivan's team. Yeah, no doubt, Adam. That was a swing that J.J. Schwartz and the Gators have uh, been waiting on all year because uh, you got to remember that was the uh, Saturday afternoon game, game three. Uh, both teams have won uh, a game each, and uh, South Carolina leading five to three in the bottom of the eighth. So it looks like the Gamecocks are going to come down here and take two or three. And then uh, bases loaded, J.J. hits one out, Gators win uh, on his grand slam. And uh, it was something that, you know, this is a team, the storyline around this team all year, pitching heavy, waiting on the lineup to finally get hot, and specifically waiting on J.J. Schwartz to get hot. And, you know, it was only one swing, but J.J., I think his comment afterward was the most telling of anything. Uh, He basically said he talks all the time about, you know, you got to have confidence in the at the plate to succeed. And he said he's been lacking that. And uh, you, you could tell that he's really hoping that this boosts that confidence and can uh, produce some consistency from him as the Gators hit the home stretch of the regular season and then obviously the postseason because if he can somehow get going, I mean, you know baseball, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of other guys can get going and suddenly the teams start pitching different to him, give other guys good pitches to hit. Uh, so, you know, that's why Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff are hoping. But, yeah, it's, it was a good momentum-building uh, moment for the Gators, for Schwartz, and now they'll see if they can carry it into the stretch because they're still right there within striking distance of winning the East uh, just a couple of games behind Kentucky. And uh, the last series of the season is Kentucky at Florida, so uh, that's setting up to be a big one. We talked about basketball a bit last week, and Chris, you promised us, you said a grad transfer, a high-profile grad transfer is on the way, uh, and that proved to be true. So tell us about the latest Canyon Berry, if you will, for Mike White's team. Well, his name is Igor Kolashev, and uh, he's Russian by way of uh, high school in South Florida. Actually started his career at him at Arizona State, transferred from there to Rice, and this past year, I mean, he's been terrific. He scored over a thousand points in his two seasons with Rice. Past season, he shot forty-seven percent from the floor and forty-seven percent from three-point range. He was, uh, I think, eight point nine rebounds a game um, at an undersized kind of six-five, three-slash-four player. So, I mean, he's going to make an instant impact on this team right away. He's a he's a high-effort guy. I'd, I'd compare him on that front to Justin Leon, except he's going to be more productive on the rebounding side. He was a first-team. Uh, uh, all-conference USA player, and he's going to help the team right away. I mean, he was coveted as, as any grad transfer prospect in the country, and as you know, that's kind of like the way things go right now. And with Florida in the situation it's in, maybe that's a, that's a way the business model can help operate uh, this program, as Mike White kind of still in, in something of a, of a transition mode. He's got four freshmen coming in. Nobody knows what you're going to get out of a freshman. The freshman class is among the top 10 incoming freshman class in the country, but you know, you, you still got, still got to wait to see together, see how they fit in rotation-wise, chemistry-wise, and, and you know, if there's any growing pains with some of these guys. But this guy's a ready-made player, and he's going to step in along the lines of Canyon Barry. And Canyon Barry last year, I know a lot of people thought this guy was this, uh, this gunner coming in, but he wasn't a spectacular three-point shooter. He was decent at 33, about 33%. This guy shot 34% as a junior and 47% as a senior, mm-hmm. so... 
Um, like I said in one of the stories I wrote this week, if you, if you get half of that, get them go, you know, you meet it halfway at forty percent, then uh, that's that's going to work to Florida's advantage offensively. And again, his productivity when it comes to rebounding speaks for itself. I want to wrap up by talking about a program we don't get to discuss that much, but the women's golf team. Uh, there's always things going on like this around the Gator Nation that most people don't necessarily know about, but they pulled off something pretty cool this past weekend. It hasn't been done in a very long time. A year ago, Adam, Florida's women's golf team went to uh, Birmingham, right there in the center of Alabama country, and they won the SEC individual medalist honors at Maria Torres, but they were tied with Alabama going into the final round and, and lost to Alabama by five strokes. This year, a decent first day, a really good second day, and went into that third day um, with the lead and did not uh, lead on Alabama and did not let the Crimson Tide come back this time and absolutely mauled the field, winning by 22 strokes. Mm. The SEC championship, their first since 2009, the first for Coach Emily Glaser. Congratulations to her. Um, they had four players finish in the top 13. Uh, this is a deep team. This is a team that's a little more ready in terms of uh, uh, just across-the-board productivity going into the NCAAs. And while we're all still talking about golf, let's give a shout-out to uh, uh, J.C. Deacon and his men's team. This is the first year they did match play on the men's side and, and, and in the SEC. And they made it to the finals, lost to Vanderbilt. Alejandro Tosti, the junior from Argentina, he won the SEC medalist honors, uh, shot a 64 uh, along the way, I believe in, in the first round, this is the guy who a week earlier played a round of golf at the UF golf course with coach JC Deacon and was there when uh, JC shot a 60, tied his own course record. And uh, uh, and so maybe some of that uh, mojo rubbed off on Alejandro, who who went to a Sea Island, Georgia and won the SEC individual honor. So congratulations to everyone over there at, at the golf course. Well, lots of good stuff to go around, and uh, we certainly enjoy getting you guys to talk about it. Thank you so much, as always. Thank you, Adam. Yes, thank you. As noted by Scott just a few minutes ago, David Sharp is one of just two starters lost from the Gator offense. Since making the decision to leave early, Sharp has been trying to convince scouts that he can match his size with the intangibles needed to compete at the next level. We checked in with the Jacksonvillian at Pro Day and asked him what he's been up to since the end of the season. Well, it's been a great process, man. Left and went to IMG Academy for about six weeks. Got in some of the best shape of my life. Got stronger. Um, they definitely helped me a lot, you know, preparing for the combine and then going to the combine, you know, doing well there. Uh, getting the track stuff out of the way, meeting all those coaches and those interviews and everything it went very well. And just being here today and finishing up today, you know, it's a great process. What was the number one or maybe a couple of things you really focused on during this pre-draft process in terms of improving? Definitely focused on, you know, bending. Got to get, you know, more leverage, you know, fl more flexibility in my hips and everything. Um, getting in shape more, uh, losing some weight, getting bigger, stronger, you know, all those type of things. Talking to all these coaches and all this personnel, what's that been like? What, what's the toughest part of that? Because you've so many people that are trying to figure out what you're about and what you can do. How, how have you sort of worked through that whole process? You know, just working on my craft. You know, the film room tells it all. Just being able to talk to those coaches and let them figure out what kind of guy I am, you know. So it was all great. Uh, just being able to work on my craft every day and technique-wise, then going to the combine and showing it out and talking to some of those guys, you know, like those big names, John Elway and all those guys in the room and stuff like that, Pete Carroll. 
And uh, it was just a great process, man, talking to those guys. Is it intimidating talking to some of these guys you've watched your whole life? What, what's it like having conversations with them? It's crazy, man. You know, you get a little starstruck, you know, just talking to um, New Orleans Saints coach Peyton, um, Coach Pete Carroll, saw Elway, saw Brian Dawson, saw all those guys, man. It was crazy. Uh, just starstruck. You know, you want to take a picture with them <laughs> when you're in the room, but you got to remember it's business. Even here today, you've got some former teammates. Talked to Brian Poole a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. What do you gain from those guys who you have relationships at the next level to help you through this? Uh, I talk to those guys all the time, uh, like Trent Brown, you know, a little bit of DJ Humphreys and stuff like that. They tell me, you know, the mental part is the hardest part, you know, going to the next level. And just talking to those guys and being able to kind of know what to expect. Uh, when they're telling you, you know, things that go on is great. So uh, just keeping a great relationship with them and kind of figuring out what goes on in the next level and how to be successful is, you know, helpful. We're talking today on Pro Day. What happens between now and the draft? What's next for you in this process? Um, now I'm just going to, you know, keep working. I got a couple uh, workouts coming up with some NFL teams and work hard at those workouts, you know, pray and see how the draft goes. Now that your Gator career is in the rearview mirror, what stands out? What memories? What moments? What, what do you take away? Uh, just everything, man. Just being able to play in front of those thousands of people, being able to compete, being able to gain relationships with your brothers and go to war. You know, it's just a great uh, feeling, a great process, meeting new people, the new coaching, all that type of deal. You know, even that, it's great. Um, being able to compete against some of the greatest guys in the SEC and, the, and college football, you know, it's all great. David, thank you so much. Good luck to you. No problem. Thank you, man. Few aspiring players have access to the wealth of knowledge that Brian Cox Jr. does. The son of a Super Bowl champion defensive lineman and longtime NFL assistant coach, Cox told us he's hoping he showed enough at UF's Pro Day to get the phone call that every player hopes for. I feel like I did good in the drills, you know. I mean, they they tried to work us pretty good, and uh, I felt like I kept my composure, and I uh, felt like I did pretty well. Talked to David Sharp about just this whole pre-draft process. He said when you're meeting with guys like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, there's some sort of star factor there. Have you felt that as well with some of the people you've had a chance to meet? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of these guys are well-established, you know, well-known names, and um, it's definitely been an honor and a privilege to work with them, and let alone to speak with them, so it's been fun. When you've got a dad who works in the league, how helpful is that in preparing for this and just knowing what goes into it? Uh, it's very helpful, you know. You know, somebody on the inside, uh, especially as close as my father. Uh, so it's been great, you know, just to get those little tidbits and, you know, nuggets from him. What have been the things you've really focused on? What's been most important for you in getting ready for this? Uh, just controlling my weight, probably cutting a little bit of weight. You know, I felt pretty good. I was 258 today, uh, weighing in the combine at 265, so I'm down seven pounds, so I feel pretty good about that. What are you most looking forward to about this? I mean, as, as you, you wait around, I mean, how tough is it not knowing where you're going and when you're going to go and, and all those other things? I mean, it's tough, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a spiritual guy, so I just leave it in God's hands, and uh, wherever I go, they're going to be very happy. What do you take most away from your time here at Florida? What, what memories stand out? Outside of just being with the guys, we know that's a big deal, but what, what specifically stands out to you? Uh, just the adversity, you know, that I had to face while being here, becoming a man. Uh, that was, you know, the main thing, you know, in college these years is where you really develop and become a man. So, you know, it was almost fun to watch myself grow up before my own eyes, so it was cool. Ryan, thanks so much. Good luck to you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. The NFL Draft begins Thursday night at 8 on ESPN and continues through the weekend, and you can keep track of the former orange and blue stars as they come off the board on FloridaGators.com. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the city of brotherly love.